fan. ESPN, ESPN.com. Hardcore football. And uh, thank you very much for your phone calls. Uh, we have Courtney until about 1030 addressing uh, some pertinent Minnesota Vikings related topics. And uh, people have uh, come flying in via the phone lines. And uh, here they are. Jack in Minneapolis. Welcome to the radio show. Hey, Courtney. Thanks uh, for taking my call. Uh, the question I have for you um, is based upon your experience. Uh, my background is a consultant. So if I'm asked to come into an organization, one of my basic questions I might ask is, where's the bleeding? So from your perspective, um, where's the bleeding in this organization? What's the top five things that need to get addressed? One of the things um, I noticed yesterday in yesterday's presser from Mr. Wilf is the generic uh, big picture, non-specific uh, requests that he's looking for in terms of talent. And I would say the biggest thing that the, the Vikings need to decide on is that are they going to continue to spend more money on buying MLS teams or are they going to put the time, energy, and resources and talent to build a Super Bowl? So what's mm-hmm. your top five request from the Vikings. Yeah, great uh, question. Thanks Jack, for the call. thank you very much. Good question. I like how he started it with the, okay, I'm here, you're paying me. Um, uh, where's the bleeding? Yeah, I and, like that. And, and you know, I I don't know if it's Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com or somebody uh, has said on this radio show recently, the, the fact that the owners are based in New Jersey and they are not here frequently during the season plays into a fair amount of things that have happened that are now coming to pass. But careful what you wish for. You want... <laughs> I think having hands-off owners is a blessing for a lot of GMs and coaches, Mm -hmm. but it's also a curse because they don't know what's going on in the building until they get here, until they start talking to people, and sometimes it's past the point of return, no return when that happens. So I think for the Wilfs' perspective now, they probably need to change some of that where I don't know if they're here more often. I know they have people who are in this building, but for them to physically be here, to lay eyes on the situation from a day-to-day perspective, more than just parachuting in every once in a while and being here for home games, getting on the jet and going home, that probably should change. You know, they, I think that there's a big thing here. They learned a lesson in financial responsibility, big one, because that 2019 one playoff win because they won a coin toss in overtime and Kyle Rudolph pushed off in the end zone. 
got Kirk Cousins an extension, it got Mike Zimmer an extension, and it got Rick Spielman an extension. They're paying two buyouts right now. Yeah. Multi-million dollar buyouts. Uh, tens of millions. Yes. And obviously things will change if, if people get hired elsewhere and contracts are negotiated and buyouts go away. But no that's the first thing I think that they've learned just about they've poured a lot of resources into this team, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the players, and doing it in a smarter way going forward where people have to earn their keep a little bit more than than maybe they have. I think that's a big part of it. As far as the bleeding within this organization, I think it's kind of what I went back to before with the culture element of it where offense versus defense, like no no more of that. And and player empowerment, I know it just seems kind of like a blanket word and there are fans out there who don't, you know, th- who thinks that players are whiny, this that and the other thing and just shut up and play and it's 2021. Yeah. The message that Mike Zimmer came in with in 2014 and Bill Parcells this, Bill Parcells that. It's and different. You, you are dealing with a different demographic. As, pl- as you get older, the players get younger. What is that from the um, that movie? As, as they get older, I stay the same. Friday you know, Night Lights? I don't know. I just say it was uh, someone knows the quote. It's but as, he was getting older. Players were getting younger. Yeah. It, there was no there was a disconnect there. You've The person who comes in here has to fix the disconnect. Number one between. Mm-hmm coaching staff and players where rookies who come in here, what Brian O'Neill said yesterday really hit home with me. They've got to feel that they can actually do something and that they can, that they belong because how Mike Zimmer handled the Kellen Mond situation. When I asked him in green Bay, do you want to see him next week? Not particularly having Wyatt Davis inactive, the final game of the season and maybe just a, maybe a giant middle finger to the front office on the way out. I don't know. Well, but I well, think that there are a lot of things there with how he's handled rookies yep. over the years, not just this year. And some people are going to say, well, Justin Jefferson, blah, blah, blah. Justin Jefferson didn't start till his third game because he was allegedly, quote, unquote, not ready. Well, well the first seven game, catches, 175 yeah. yards and a touchdown. That's not ready in your first yeah. game. OK, yeah, the first game against Green Bay, I think they ran 24 plays. So mm-hmm. so I draw a line through that one. Then the next one at Indianapolis. Yeah, yes. I understand that. But huh? I mean, there's always been the notion that rookies will have a harder time when they come to Minnesota. I think that if you're drafting these players and you are expecting them to actually contribute, you've got to play it a little differently. And I know the other part of the question was, what are the five other things they need to do? Um, well, there's not a ton of bleeding. You know, I, I mean, I think you, uh, you... It's a very good roster. Yeah, I it think really is. what you hit on and, and, and amplified, it, it definitely... It, it makes sense, but I mean, it, it's you know we, we ain't dealing with the Texans here. Okay, no. the, this is not, it's not Jacksonville the Jacksonville either. Jaguars roster or Detroit. Um, and um, uh, Johnny the Mouse Mickelson, captain of the '83 YZ uh, club hockey team, sent this uh, wondering, CC, um, what do you read into how Zim treated uh, that Calamon situation you just uh, talked about, saying you didn't want to see him play in Week 18 because he sees him every day, then doesn't even activate him mm-hmm. uh, to 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 the mouse. It, it sounds like it definitely was an affront and, and getting after Spielman for that pick. And then you mention Wyatt Davis at the end. Yeah. Now, now there is no disputing in a season that ended being the final seasons for Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, but specifically in, in the course of the battles, the games, when you have those four fourth round picks and you, you get, basically incremental 
assistance from Patrick Jones, who did get better as the season went on, but it didn't change games. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, basically, according to Zimmer, Mon can't play. Davis was inactive every single game. And likewise for Surratt. So, I mean, you know, that, that, and I'm patience guy. So therefore I'm willing to wait on some, if not all of it, but not, you can't have four third round third rounders and do that. But there was never any hope from any of them. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was never any, you know, like, like with KJ, I know there wasn't any, you know, if you had just gone off his rookie season specifically offensively where he didn't get on the field, you know, it's, it's clearly for those who had patience, you, you were rewarded with young KJ. Now with these four, I can't say that's going to be the case, you know? They knew what they were getting in Kellen Mond when they drafted him. The guy was a four-year player at Texas A&M, two different coaching staffs, two different offenses. And I remember when I was doing my research, because I got it, was it April last year? When I remember I put I had the audacity to um, do my reporting and claim that they were going to go after a backup quarterback and all of the um, the stands for Kirk Cousins were, how dare you say that? You like, mean rookie or free agency? In the draft. Oh, I see. But they're actually going to use a non-throwaway pick. Yeah. Yes, I'm calling a sixth and seventh rounder a throwaway pick because yeah. that's an undrafted free agent in college mm-hmm. free agency. But they were actually going to like go after it. Why? Because that was a directive all offseason last year. They needed to address that. They had to have a contingency plan. They took a swing and they landed Kellen Mond, but I don't. I was I don't know if he, like he ever really stood a chance from the time he came in here. And obviously there was a stuff during training camp where he gets knocked out for a while because of COVID, and he's behind the eight ball even further than he already was. This was going to be a developmental year for him, anyways. If they wanted a backup quarterback that was going to be a rookie, they picked the wrong one. They should have picked Davis Mills. They should have picked somebody else that could have been in that mix. Hell, they could have picked Mac Jones. He was right. there at fourteen. But nonetheless, um, where then they were where they were initially picking, and I I don't think when it comes to Mond and the situation he was put in this year, he never had a chance because I don't think behind the scenes they ever really had a whole ton of faith that he was going to do anything this year. But I don't think that killing the quarterback's confidence on the way out was the way to go. But you don't. Yeah, I couldn't believe you said you it. You don't make comments like that if you don't already know that you're gone you don't make comments like that if you don't already know that just like with about justin jefferson like i don't care about records there's no reason to be that terse about something unless it's basically two middle fingers in the air and i'm on the way out that's how that's my opinion on it because that's just there's a nature of humanity to this business it's not just football meathead x's and o's grind the tape whatever Football men are some of the most emotional people I have ever encountered. Literally yesterday. Yes. And like, they like to play it off. Like, off, oh, like, you know, I, I, it's the game, you know, I'm, I, it's everything like that, but they are emotional beings. They are insecure as all get out. They, this is their livelihood. This is everything. You can, you can be compassionate and still be a hard ass and it's okay. Like, that's just what I didn't appreciate about that at the end where, there was something that meant so much to your star player. And I think that also feeds into ownership, too. Like, are you going to let the guy irritate your star player and then you're going to have another situation where somebody wants out of here? Like, they, I just feel like the writing was already on the wall. Otherwise, he, Mike Zimmer's smart enough. He wouldn't have said that stuff if he didn't already know his fate. Patrick, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks so much for taking my call. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, Courtney just stole my thunder because, <laughs> uh, the reason for my call was on the, on the draft night, I mean, I was my hands were up in the air. I couldn't believe 
Now, granted, I mean, Derrissaw is going to be a great offensive lineman, but uh, to turn around, well, the, the first thing I threw my hands up in the air about was passing on Mac Jones, you know, and letting him fall into Belichick's lap like that. And then we turn around and draft Mond. Well, if we wanted a backup quarterback, just take Mac Jones. It really upset me. I appreciate your phone call. Thank you. Uh, Cody in Arizona. Hello. Hey, PA. Thanks hey, what's up, bud? Call. Thanks for listening uh, hey. on the free iHeartRadio yeah. app. <laughs> uh, no, I just I didn't really have much question. I just want to talk about how inconsistent the, the team was all season. Like, I feel like you get some games where the defense is showing up and then the offense is going three and out. And then you get games where the offense is right. showing up and the defense is giving up 30 points. I feel like maybe two games out of the whole season, the Chargers and Seahawks games, where they put like a full full, full team game on. Yeah. Um, also, talking about uh, what you and Courtney said earlier about how Zim was being a hard-ass and taking a lot of heat for the for Mon and stuff, I think it speaks volumes that he didn't speak to the team after he left. And then uh, Eric Kendrick speaking out about how the culture of the uh, team was this season, or maybe even prior years before. So, now, thank you very, <clears throat> thank you very much for the phone call. Just quickly here, you know, it, it, it Paul Gunther would join Nine to Noon Daily as part of the Vikings Report, and and. You know, with the after the Cincinnati and or Arizona game, we we just started talking a little bit about exactly what Cody brought up. It's just not meshing. I mean, mm-hmm. when when the during the course of the games, I mean, when the offense is unbelievable at Arizona, your Patrick Peterson in a rare moment of making a mistake is getting lost. He can't find DeAndre Hopkins, and then certain things in Cincinnati really really good. Then then the defense falls apart, and the offense gets good. So I totally agree with that. Um, I was chatting with somebody who is with another team yesterday in the NFL about the importance of galvanizing man in this generation, no matter what your age is and what's your standpoint, what your opinion is of said generation. Yeah. I mean, it's the cliched, get Snow off my lawn, were soft. millennials, yeah, it. entitled. It. It's the cliched mm-hmm. stuff. And quite honestly, because... I mean, I work three jobs, so I work with a lot of people in that generation. You have two of them in your in your brethren, but, your children are but, millennials. Right. Uh, well, there you go. But, but a lot of it professionally is accurate. A lot of the stereotypes are accurate, in my opinion. However, as a coach, and Kendricks cried out for this yesterday, O'Neal kind of did too, as did one or two people with whom I chatted mm-hmm. yesterday. If you, whether you like it or not, this generation of player. If you cannot adapt to if you cannot adapt to them, you're going to be out because them adapting to you is is, it's not going to happen. So the uh, the adaptability, the adaptation or lack thereof of some of the older school people with this generation of player, I think it caused Vic Fangio his job. Um, I think it played into Zimmer losing his job. And you can only stonewall it so long. I mean, these people are who they are. And they're not going to 100% change. And, and you know, Spielman addressing the team and and saying goodbye to a lot of people, very, very classy of him. Uh, the fact that Mike didn't, um, that, um, that disappoints me. Yeah, and, I mean, did this not happen? This happens a lot, I think, where coaches want to put, the, put their stamp on things and want to rule with an iron fist and, you know, kind of keep, you know, keep everything in order in the organization because they're ultimately responsible for what's going on with their players. Um, I remember a moment that I was told about with Jared Allen where 
we kind of heard about this with Joe Judge last week and how he's treating his coaches, and I'm going to be here and you're not. And that there was a moment in practice when Jared Allen was here, I believe that would have been Brad Childress as the head coach, where there was a, I'm going to be here. I don't care about the rest of you guys. You're not going to be here. I'm going to be here at one point. Jared Allen, in typical Jared Allen fashion, had some colorful language, said, screw this, I'm out. Yeah. And walked off the practice field. Now, what's been going on behind the scenes for a couple years now with players that I've spoken with, ones who are here, ones who are not uh, anymore, that, you know, Mike Zimmer is a well-respected coach. Like X's and O's, there's there's probably nobody better. He's I mean, a savant. He is. He's very, very good at what he does, but like the humanity element of it. And it's not to tear a guy down on his way out. It's just to point out the simple fact where yeah. the message was lost on the players. What worked in 2014 does not work on the group, especially the COVID rookie group, which mm-hmm. had, you know, they were learning each other's faces the day that they walked in here. They were set up for failure to begin with. There's a reason that sports psychology and why there's so much more ancillary stuff to help people through the mental health stuff, the social justice issues that we're dealing with, like in society. I mean, there's so much more. And and some people scoff at and say, well, just play the damn sport. That's such an arrogant way to look at it. And I tend to think that some of that bleeds into the coaching staff a little bit and the leadership. Like being a head coach now is not just calling plays and the X's and O's and drawing up the game plan. It's part psychologist, part, you know, mentor, part put a foot up your butt and, no and, and you know, motivate you. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not just the football. No. You cannot come in here as a head coach and just be like, I just want to focus on the football. Nobody in today's game will, su- will succeed in doing that. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be compassionate and not to say soft, because I think that that gets misconstrued as what that means. Yeah. It means be somebody, be an ally. Yeah. Like, and I, I just tend to think that the crying out yesterday. I agree. Like, was very clear yeah. from players how, how they felt that they were just not empowered to be who they were. And that's, you know, to bring up something about Kellen Mond, a lot of times coaches don't like players with personality. That is the one thing that I was, in doing my research the last couple of weeks, when you, when you talk about, well, Kellen Mond must be inept because he can't be out there. And, uh, you know, Zimmer said what he said. It must be true. I tend to think that players are set up for success or failure by if the coaches will allow them to be who they are mm-hmm. and be themselves. If you have a personality, like, I sometimes think that that could be, go against you in the NFL. Not saying it'd be as like, we, you know, we cut open these guys' heads and we expect to see a giant football in the middle of it because that's what you see with the greats like Tom Brady. It's not like that with everybody. Guys have other interests. Like, and I think that not addressing that, not buying into that hurts hurts coaches who who can't see the the full person, not just the player. Let's uh let's put a wrap on uh, Miss Courtney Cronin at Courtney R. Cronin uh, with Twitter, ESPN, ESPN.com, beat writer covering the Minnesota Vikings in a uh, truncated final segment with CC around the corner. Uh, we're nearing the midway point of the nine to noon production at KFAN. And get to KFAN.com. Enter the keyword hope. The keyword is hope. You might put a grand in your hand. You could win $1,000 just by going to KFAN.com and using the keyword hope. Good. The fan. CC. CC. Put a 
wrap on a CC for this week. Um, like to um, like to have her inclusion in a couple of weeks on the National Football League playoffs if the young lady has time. Uh, she is Courtney Cronin, ESPN and ESPN.com. What? Oh, I thought you were going to uh, join the segment and um, you had some things you wanted to chat with Courtney about. Okay, well, okay. Well, Mark Wilf spoke to the media yesterday, and the thing that's interesting to me right off the bat is just um, the resources that he keeps talking about, the vague nature of him mentioning those resources. And I do want to play uh, a question. I think it was from Ben Gessling yesterday. Here it is. Mark, you mentioned the executives and, and talent you have in the building. Who do you specifically plan to have sitting down to interview the candidates that you'll be looking at for the general manager and coaching spots in the next couple of weeks here? Again, we have we have a lot of leadership on the business side as well as on the football ops side um, who are going to participate in the committee. We're just having a conversation on how we're going to go about it to be up responsibilities. But believe me, uh, we have uh, the cupboard is not bare. We have a, a, uh, a great amount of football knowledge and wisdom in this building, and we're going to lean on that heavily uh, to get that going. I'd rather not get into the specifics of who and what, but, but we have a plan in place. Uh, we're going to, like I said, the process will be methodical, comprehensive, and uh, I'm confident we're going to come out with a good, clear direction that will excite our players, our, our, our fans, and uh, get us moving in a good direction. There was a caller that mentioned it a bit last segment, and the thing for me coming into this, I was shocked in some ways that they completely cut the cord with Rick. And just looking at moving forward, whether they've been thinking about it for three weeks, three months, going back to 2019, the extension versus potentially moving on with the New Orleans playoff game in the 2019 year, uh, the the confidence that I have, I was not necessarily, I'm not necessarily inspired by what this next path looks like in a very crucial turning point mm-hmm. for this organization that potentially starts a cycle that we see with other organizations where when you get that first answer wrong, that being the general manager, that leads you into these two, three years of where you've only won 15 games and you're having a similar conversation sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it can get pretty murky if you don't know what you're going to do with the GM spot, which I think scares people when they're like, man, we're just looking and you know, our internal people are going to guide us, and there will be those who say, well, internally, like... How are they going to get that right when things went so wrong? But I also, from from that perspective of having, what, and this is my, again, my speculation. You heard the answer. He wasn't going to tell you who was going to be on the search committee type thing. You've got a lot of people who understand the culture. I think you look within your own front office first. Jamal Stevenson, to me, would be a no-brainer for the, for, to get at least an interview for the GM job. He was... Going, he was on. He was least was very high on the list to be the assistant general manager in Denver under George Payton. Very well thought of, very well respected. That fell through. He's here. He's over the college side of things. Ryan Munnan's over the pro side of things. Jamal is very widely respected. I would say that start internally for your GM search before you cast a wide net. And there are going to be a lot of candidates that come up on this thing. And I always find it hard to believe. I'm like. I understand owners are billionaires and they've got like real businesses outside of the NFL that they're trying to run every day. It's always mm-hmm. so bizarre though, that it's like, why do we only care about who the candidates are? And it's like, Oh shoot, cramming for a final exam. Like when it needs to happen. Like, I think you should always this is a lesson to like everybody in the NFL who owns an NFL team. Um, like know this stuff beforehand. Like don't just wait until the 11th hour, but internally 
They know that like, people who are going to be guiding the search, know the culture. I would say with your candidacy for GM, start within your own front office. You have a very good candidate right there. And as you look at it moving forward, and maybe that's the route that evens the playing field, if they are looking internally, and, and I assume they've had some level of conversation taking place, uh, maybe not just the last couple of days, but a couple of weeks as well. Do you feel in some ways that they're potentially behind the eight ball, being a team that not only has to hire a head coach, but the GM has to be figured out first? Yes. I'm looking at this coach tracker. I got teams that have eight interviews set up yet. And uh, all I'm reading are Twitter rumors about Lane Kiffin. <laughs> yeah, I think that they need to get a jump on it. I mean, they said they were starting right away. They should probably have at least one interview done this week for the GM job because it doesn't sound like I know what you're saying, Nordo, with all of the head coaching things and the Bears have all of these um, interviews lined up and the Broncos have interviews lined up and Jacksonville's already had two weeks ahead of everybody else to start poking around that if you are going to go the route where you're not even touching head coach until the GM's figured out, you've probably got to get that figured out in the next like week or two. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, lastly, the the Wilfs and these hires, is this the most magnified they have been since owning the team? Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, a couple of hires with, with the tens of millions spent or, or promised to pay the dismissed. So, I mean, you're, you know, you're... They've never cleaned house before. You, you got stuck here financially, and, and whether you're a billionaire or not, it still is tens of millions of dollars unless they get new jobs. And it may be tens of million dollars for Kirk Cousins right. if you do end up trading him, because let's be real, nobody's going to be like, oh, yeah, come on. Like, you yeah. know, one for one, we'll be eating that $35 million. It's, we'll the most take that mag- on. it's the most magnifying moment for the Wilfs in their National Football League history. Yeah, I mean, they've owned this team since 2005, and they have not won a Lombardi trophy yet. This team hasn't been to the Super Bowl in a couple decades. Like, I think now that they did go the clean house approach, Like they here's what they learned. They cannot go one foot in, one foot out. That's yeah. what happened after the 2019 season. Oh, we're going to, like, say goodbye to everyone on defense, mm-hmm. and we're going to still somehow be competitive. Like, they learn from the one foot in, one foot out approach. That doesn't work. And for everybody who, you know, said, well, Mike Zimmer did this, he tore the, you know, he, he, he ruined this thing. If that's your opinion, okay, that's your opinion. Right. I, I, I feel like he did not need to take the entire bulk of there. This is a business. This is a, maybe there's not a lot of collaboration and that's a problem, but. Collectively speaking, you cannot just pin the downfall and shortcomings of the Minnesota Vikings on Mike Zimmer. I think that it was the right move to clean house with both positions because it also just doesn't make a whole ton of sense having somebody that was your GM now the layer between next GM and head coach and ownership. I just don't think that you're going to get the best candidate pool when you have candidates who are going, especially that GM job, who think the former GM is going to be looking over their shoulder uh, trying to tell them how to do their job because he was doing it for so long. I think that's just a natural reaction for candidates who would want to work here. Uh, very, very fairly stated. And um, the audience, I know from uh, looking at Twitter and the emails and yours truly, uh, very much enjoyed the time. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. It. And uh, we'll we'll see what's up locally and we'll, we'll uh, see what's up nationally. Cool. Thank you. Uh, Courtney Cronin at Courtney R. Cronin via Twitter. She covers the Minnesota Vikings for ESPN and ESPN.com. It is 1040 in the Love Covenant, and this is not on the fan.
News to Nord brought to you by Canterbury's Car Casino. It's poker, it's blackjack, it's table games, and it's all year round at CanterburyPark.com. For all the details, I believe there was uh, snowmobile racing last weekend. And so you get to CanterburyPark.com, check out all the cool events they have going on. Number one. Uh, we've known this now. It's Tuesday morning, but yesterday the news dominated by uh, the firings of both Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. But the NFL playoffs are set. And I do want to go back briefly to the finale of the NFL regular season. Here's the game-winning call from Uncle Brent. A little 47-yarder. Jackpot, baby! Let's go to Cincinnati! Yeah, baby! Wow. What a football game. What a season. Five walk-off field goals for Daniel Carlson this year. That kicker needs a nickname. Let's give it to him. He's the Iceman. <laughs> Compass Media Networks, Raiders Radio I, I, Network. I can't believe broadcasting immortality and a dear friend of mine did that. I mean, George Gervin forever is the Iceman. Um, and new schoolers may not, A, have a respect for who the Iceman was, uh, or B, know who he was. But, I mean, the Iceman cometh. George Gervin, <clears throat> he's basketball immortality yeah. for the San Antonio Spurs. I know the name, but I'm not going to pretend that I watched him play. Big deal. You you know, if you, if you know George Gervin and you know the nickname with the finger roll, he's the Iceman. You, you, can't, you can't call Daniel Carlson the Iceman. Come on. Does it count if they're in different sports? Like in the NFL, you can't call another running back sweetness. Right. Um, mm, I'm not. Well, Andre Patterson dubbed Shamar Stefan the big fundamental, which forever is Tim Duncan's Tim Duncan. nickname. I also guess, a spur. I guess you can, uh, but um, I wouldn't do it. I got you. Uh, Daniel Carlson, by the way, 9 of 9 in late stage game field goals this year. Um, he is uh, quickly becoming the best kicker in the NFL, so congratulations to the Raiders. No, no he's not. I mean... <laughs> well, I, no, Justin Tucker is, is the best that there's ever been, but... Over the course of time, he has evolved from a guy that got cut after missing three kicks at Lambeau into now one of the best kickers in the NFL. Amen. Uh, this playoff says they, they are as follows. Raiders at Cincy Saturday afternoon. Patriots at Bills Saturday night. Mm. Wonder if it'll be as windy as the first time they were in Buffalo. Eagles at Bucks noon Sunday. Niners at Cowboys Sunday afternoon. Steelers and Chiefs. At least one more game for Big Ben Sunday night. And the Monday night playoff finale, it is a super wild card weekend. The Cardinals are at the Rams. Now, they've only had like six or seven Monday night playoff games in the history of the NFL. And the Rams have played in almost all of them. But they get another one. And it's at home against a team that they've lost six consecutive to. Or no, that was the Niners, excuse me. They they host the Cardinals on Monday evening. Well, so. the, the Rams, I believe until Arizona beat them in the last game, uh, the, the Rams had beaten Arizona like 10 consecutive times. Uh, I'm I'm excited for the these conversations to dissipate and to minimize, which is happening even as of right now. And uh, when the techie joins us in 10 minutes. And these games, I mean, outside of Philly-Tampa Bay, uh, th- these games are fascinating. Yeah. Uh, they should be fantastic, and I think there can be upsets. Generally speaking, there are upsets in this round. And then in the next round, when you got the teams that are rested, you know, they're more heavily favored and they're more difficult to beat. 
Dallas at San Francisco, uh, San Francisco at Dallas. Very compelling to me. And how far is this Roethlisberger thing going to go? Because I watched every second of Kansas City and the Broncos. Chiefs ain't right. I mean, that they might go out and beat somebody 56-4, and they are right. They're, they're not the same team. Mahomes is not the same guy. He hasn't been the entire year. And now they've had some players out. But in that Broncos game, they, they didn't, like, jack around with the game and, and we have you whenever we want you. Denver took the fight to Kansas City. Yeah. And I've just seen too many moments this year with Kansas City where they are just too vulnerable than they should be. And the galvanizing nature of this being Roethlisberger's final season, uh, they beat the Calm on Monday Night Football. Then they they handled uh, uh, was a, the Ravens a rough and tumble Ravens team. You yeah. know, well, granted the Ravens <clears throat> they 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 had the cars already on heated, ready to leave for vacation, but they still found a way to win. And Pittsburgh has with with it has enough players to beat anybody in the AFC. This the the AFC looks so wide open and the NFC looks so two and a half ish teams dominant. And I think it's gonna take it's it's gonna take a a her, Herculean effort for somebody to beat Green Bay and for Green Bay to not go to the Super Bowl. I agree. So I think the NFC is a little more chalky than the AFC. But how far is Ben going to take this thing, man? Because he knows how to win in the postseason, and he's a dog. And gas stations are open on the van. Number two. A title was won last night for the first time since 1980. Fourth and 12 at the Georgia 47. The final second ticks away. And how of an appropriate ending is that? We sack Young on the last play of the game. Dogs are winners. A national championship for a new generation of Bulldogs. How about that? Final score, 33-18. to 18. The slipper changes feet, and Georgia is crowned the national champion for the first time in 41 years. Yeah, Georgia beats Alabama last night 33-18. They were favored in the game. Long, I think long standard defense throughout the course of the year was the calling card for the Dogs. Uh, they were a pain in the ass all season long. They get it done. Stetson Bennett. What a name. Stetson Bennett. 17-26, 220 and change. A couple of scores. Dalvin's brother James only had six carries, but he got 77 yards. As I mentioned, Georgia's first title since 1980. Wow. Uh, Bryce Young looked great in moments. He also threw a couple of bad picks, including the one that sealed it, the pick six, uh, towards the end there that put the game out of reach, final moments of the fourth quarter. But uh, Georgia figured out how to handle Saban for a night, and uh, the confetti fell on the Bulldogs. I, I watched most of the game with, with no audio, so therefore I didn't I didn't hear any of the names. If If there are better front sevens, that have, that have played against each other in a national title game or a college football game than what I saw last night, then I need to point it out to me. And I don't know these, kid, these kids' names. Uh, th- those front sevens for those teams were unbelievably sturdy and fast and disciplined and mean while being respectful. Uh, the front sevens of those defenses just blew me away. Number three. Uh, real quick twitch. How about this? Not counting the Vikings. Raiders, Dolphins, Jags, Broncos, Bears, and potentially the Giants. Raiders, Dolphins, 
Jags, Broncos, Bears, potentially the Giants, as there's been some negativity in the Joe Judge universe recently. Which is the best situation among those for coaches that'll be going through interviews Ooh. over the next few weeks? I can't. I I can't answer that um, on the fly. Uh, who are the teams again? Raiders, yeah. Dolphins, yeah. Jaguars, Broncos, yeah. Bears, and potentially the G's. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'd have to mesh their draft picks, where they're picking, <clears throat> what what their cap situation is, what's their quarterback situation. Um, it um, None of them sound great, but none of them sound awful. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's very, very difficult to answer. All right, we'll get into it down the road. What's yours? Uh, for me, it would potentially be either the Raiders or the Broncos. Now, the Dolphins are very intriguing, but it feels like after only three years, what kind of leash or runway are you going to get with what Flores did winning 19 yeah. games the last couple of years, uh, working with Tua, uh, the general manager on thin ice as he drafted Tua ahead of Justin Herbert. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, the defense was coming around, but I just, I just don't know so much about that. I think oh. Mayock and, and Gruden now, I forget what the yeah. special teams coordinate, but they, but well, they're going to hire that guy. I mean, you think just, so? Oh my God. I, I mean, they've climbed mountains for him, certainly. Yeah, there it is. And they're in the postseason. And by the way, they can win this weekend. So yeah, that guy will get hired. The Denver quarterback situation is so by far fourth in a division where three teams nearly made the playoffs. So if they had that tie Sunday night, three AFC West teams make the playoffs. And with Mahomes, Carr, and Herbert, Peyton's squad has so by far the worst quarterback situation. I'm out on that one. But they get the quarterback situation fixed. They have a plug-and-play defense that Vic Fangio created. And now you suddenly elevate them. I mean, you, yeah. you got to remember, they were a playoff team mm-hmm. five weeks ago. I think it's a big if. Um, just look at, you know, just to say, if they get the quarterback situation fixed and think about getting the quarterback situation fixed here or in other places. They were a playoff team a month ago. Yeah, it's um, it's just very difficult. But the division, you're right. Now, what is the division in the AFC East? You jump in there with Miami, and you still got to beat. You got to play with the Bills, and you got to play with the Patriots. It's yeah. kind of like same old days no for doubt. for the Dolphins. But no uh, lastly, number four. Oh, I don't hate that Broncos situation, but the you know, like I said, it's, worst spot in the division though. You well, are right about. But that. no, I mean to answer the question. I need to know who my quarterback is for how long, what's my cap situation, where am I picking, and what's the stability what's the what's the stability outside of the instability of there being an opening here. Denver there there is stability for the most part with Denver. Uh, but that quarterback situation, man, that's uh that's the big reason they, they tried to run down Rodgers as um, aggressively as they did last offseason. Yeah. I think they'll do it again this offseason. Uh, now that they have even more picks and more in their arsenal because of the Von Miller trade. Yep. So we'll uh, we'll see what Ole Rodgers does after the year. Well, and one part that could add to the allure is that if you're the head coach and you're sitting down with George Payton, you're the coaching, it's in the interview process, and it's an offensive guy, like you're a Brian Dable, and you're like, would I get the opportunity to work with you on acquiring a quarterback this offseason? Yeah. Now, you you know, if, if you feel like there's some power there and some decision-making ability or some, you know, some collaboration, as we've heard around our building over the last couple of days. And no doubt. Maybe that's something cool. Lastly, how about this? Nate Prosser has officially retired from the NHL. Mm-hmm. Nine and a half seasons with the Wild Elk Rivers uh, Finest debut in April 2010. 47 points, 
353 regular season games with the Wild. Spent a bit of time a few years ago with the Blues, and I think he played six games for Philly in 2021. Nate Prosser, signing off. Love you. He um, He's the genuine article. He's uh, great. As a person. I've, I've done charity events with him about three consecutive years, and the good thing for us here at KFAN is if we ever need a Nate Prosser-related memory, all we have to do is look at Tennessee. Uh, because with Tennessee's haircut, he's like <laughs> Nate Prosser reincarnate walking around here. Yeah, he absolutely is. Uh, but safe travels. Nate, into the final hour, here comes the Timberwolves and Twins techie, Aaron Gleeman. And uh, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. The techie is next at KFAN.